Raptors fans, I am back. Uh, this is kind of episode one of the regular season, kind of episode two. Episode one was the game one Cavs Raptors recap with Justin Rowan, but this is the first episode where we really dive into the team and the regular season, the game against Philly last night, the game against Philly tomorrow, or maybe both games have already happened depending on when you listen to this. But we got on Raptors Twitter legend Iman. If you are a Raptors fan and you are on Twitter, you definitely know who she is. Uh, definitely one of the best people to talk Raptors with, talk hoops with. Uh, just in general, she's super fun. Like This was an awesome conversation. Um, but yeah, you can follow this Twitter page at Raptors Cage. You can read my work at RaptorsHQ.com. And you can follow me on all social media platforms at Zach Wilson MH. That is Z-A-C-H, not Z-A-C-K. But yeah, let's get into this conversation with him on and let's get it. Okay, welcome everybody back to, I got to turn my volume down, the Raptors Cage show. Um... What are we, like five games into the season? Joining me to talk everything Toronto Raptors, everything why Philly is trash. We got Amon, who is a Raptors Twitter legend. Oh, uh, <laughs> how's it going? Good, good. How are you? I'm doing good. We just had a bit of a conversation how you saved me from watching some uh, relationship trashy television because I would have finished it if you hadn't hopped on the call. Who is the trashy reality television of the NBA? Is it the Sixers? Oh, the Lakers. Wow, look at It's the Lakers, right? You're you're a professional at this. (laughs) Uh, So I feel like the the Lakers and the Nets have to be like, actually, the Nets not as much this year. Like the Nets last year, the Nets are just kind of bad this year. Yeah. It has to be the Lakers, but I feel like I want to come up with an answer that's just not that easy. Yeah, I mean, like the Sixers kind of feel like the not that easy one, right? Like the the Sixers are like Love Island, and the Lakers are like Temptation Island. What is this? What's this conversation? The Sixers are Love is Blind. They're a little bit higher, you know. They're like cast uh, themselves up as like a social experiment about finding the one. I can't do these comparisons like you. You're just like off the dome. These are not good. <laughs> None of this is good. Oh, speaking of not good, uh, the 76ers last night were uh, recording this after Toronto takes down Philly in their first game. Which, what do you what do you think of the NBA just pulling all these double headers together? Because Toronto has another one versus Chicago, like in a couple weeks. I hate it. Like I, I get that it's like to cut down on travel. I noticed it last year. I think it's the second year. Might have been the third year, but it feels like this year so much more it's to cut down on travel but i hate it because i kind of expect them all to be splits when they're two good teams right i'm like you know i could have taken two off of chicago and now we're just gonna split like it's inevitable that it's just going to be a split because like you saw with with the the timberwolves and the spurs like yeah the spurs can put a beat down on the timberwolves but they're not going to back down in the next game and so instead of taking it out on someone else now the spurs get the split one which yeah so i was checking the schedule right before we hopped on and the Chicago one is literally back-to-back days but it's one in each mm-hmm. arena so I don't get how like that's oh, not I don't really like cutting that. down travel like it's yeah, just I don't like that it's like a baseball playoff series um so you're basically you're, pre- you're predicting a loss tomorrow for Toronto no just because I think the Sixers are that bad <laughs> so let's get let's get into that because one thing I saw out of Toronto last night which um 
I think is partially Philly's defense, but partially is Toronto's uh, Toronto's offense is how good Toronto, uh, or I guess some of the guys on the Raptors are at moving off ball. Like Precious cuts really strong. We saw Scotty sneak back door. Fred and Gary can space. OG can uh, can space out. Even Boucher moves well off ball. But at the same time, when you're playing Philly, I posted a clip on Twitter. And literally all five defenders were watching. I think it was Fred as he drove. And it makes it so easy for backdoor cuts. But do you think this team, because I feel like for so long watching this Raptors team, not this exact iteration, but with the DeMar Kyle, it was ISO, no off ball. And now we actually have like a fun ball movement off ball team to watch. Like, do, do you feel the same way about this team? Yeah. And I kind of feel like every year with the DeMar and Kyle teams, everything that proved to not work, you could see, you know, the front office make a right turn, like a hard turn away from that, right? Like you had your ISO heavy teams, lack of ball, for one, it was a lack of ball movement for so long. And then that in, in that 2017 season, 2018 season comes and the Raptors, the ball is moving. DeMar DeRozan is taking a ton of threes. Um, you have teams that kind of just watched the DeMar show and stood back. And now they brought in, you know, at the time they were trying to bring in guys like DeMar Carroll who could move off ball, who can make those cuts. It just feels like every time something did not work with that team, the front office made a hard right turn, whether it be, you know, the Lou Williams Gravis Vasquez backcourt to like Corey Joseph and get in defensively, bringing in Bismack Biombo, like, it, those those team building experiments have led to what the Raptors have now, which is not having a high usage guy that's going to have 30% usage and everyone's kind of just watching his show like a DeMar DeRozan type of situation and instead have a more egalitarian offense and also have you know free-flowing offense at times. <laughs> it looked like that yesterday. Um, having the ball sort of spinning a bunch, having guys make cuts and, and make reads and just move a ton that that's kind of I feel like how Messiah's built this team is like looking off the mistakes of his teams in the past and then coming up with you know elite defenders across the board so you're not having right. a, a a wing problem like DeMar DeRozan or a big problem like JB yeah and obviously the number one option or the the guy with the I don't even know if he has the highest usage usage statistically but just the guy who creates the most Pascal Siakam and one thing does. I love he probably does um yeah. it would make sense I just didn't I haven't checked the stats um, but he, one thing that's really impressed me about his game is yes, the scoring and the way he's even developed just like mid range shots and pull up shots and his three ball last night was crazy. But the one thing that impresses me the most is he can score 30 one night and the next night the team will come out double teaming him every possession. And he's so willing to just pass it, swing it, find the open guy. And not a lot of stars are like that. And obviously there are a ton of great stars, guys like Kobe, who, they didn't have to pass out of double teams. They would just score anyway. But Pascal, just the willingness to pass and Toronto's willingness to swing the ball, like it, it makes Toronto's offense so much more better. And the fact that he has to draw these double teams in the half court, like it's really the only way Toronto's making half court offense work. Uh, exactly, exactly that. I mean, the Raptors offense is really sort of predicated on mismatch hunting. That's a large part of it, but it's also like, you know, people are talking, I was listening to a podcast and they said, you know, is Gary the number one guy for Toronto? And I was like, all of Gary's shots, like 90% of them at the very least were catch and shoot opportunities and 90% right. of them were wide open. Why? Because Pascal, because of the attention that he that he draws. And I, I think, you know, even talking back uh, about those yesteryears, Raptor years, um, that 2018 team, having the bench mob, having that sort of, you know, Pascal getting everyone involved. His role at that team for, for most of it was just leaking out in transition and finishing there. But that team had such 
Uh, it was so different than the starting lineup. It, it, they moved the ball. It was kind of a more egalitarian approach. And watching Fred and Pascal learn from those teams and bring it to the starting lineup now, I think, is probably why we have a Pascal that's different than your Kevin Durant's or your Kobe Bryant's or whoever else. Granted, he's not the scorer that they are at this point in his career. Like, they're, you know, <laughs> I just named two of the greatest offensive players in basketball. Right. Um, but despite his scoring proficiencies, I, I just think that the ball movement comes from like what this Raptors team was when he was a baby learning on this team. And it's, you know, something that he's developed continuously. And it's so stark from watching Kawhi Leonard on this team, who the one knock on his game could be that playmaking, not to say he's a, a like a selfish player, but he can score over any double team. So why pass it up? He's your best option anyway. Um, and, and Pascal recognizing that, Gary can do this. OG can do this. What the Raptors approach is, is having five guys on the court that can create some offense for themselves and can shoot, especially in open opportunities. So that's what the Raptors are going to do. They're they're He didn't have, you know, 30% usage last year. And I don't imagine that he will have one this year. Large part of it is going to be, I'm going to attract this defense. And one of OG, one of Gary, one of Fred, or Scotty is going to be open and you guys are going to do the damage. Or one of you guys is going to have a small on you, OG, down low, and maybe you can do damage. Or Scotty, you can do damage there. So that's how the rappers are approaching it. It is it is kind of an egalitarian approach, but it only works because Pascal Siakam is so good and because he is their number one guy. I don't want to make it seem like I'm putting him on par with the rest of the team. He is a cut above. He is this team's number one player. But his unselfishness in moments where he is getting double teamed um, and in the gravity that he possesses just by drawing those doubles is why the Toronto Raptors are working at all offensively. Right. And you mentioned he's, he's easily the best player. Like really one of the only reasons this works is because he forces double teams. Like teams can't guard him single coverage. We saw PJ Tucker last night. If he sagged off him, Pascal will just pull up in his eye. If he pressed Crazy. up on him, Pascal will go right past him. Like it's, it's the way an elite, offensive player has always worked to the point where you can't sag off and you can't uh, stay super close to them. Now you can't double him. <laughs> yeah, serious. Well, and that's like partially also due to, as I mentioned earlier, how good the rest of the team is off ball, because it's not like Pascal just sees a double and just kind of finds a guy and just gets out of his hands. Like he's patient with it and he finds the open guy, but the way teams set up double teams is in traps with the remaining three guys standing in the way, cutting off passing lanes and the only way that works is if the remaining guys find open space, they cut. And we've seen examples of Precious, Scotty, Boucher, as you mentioned, Trent, Fred just finding his way, like leaking up to the top for three. It's it's actually like it's such it's such amazing offense. And I could have never projected that the half court offense would have this much potential. And obviously it's coming off a game in against Philly, who they literally look like they just kind of wanted to stand there. Like they look like their controller was broken defensively, but still like half court offense, it's a lot better than it was last year, or even just like at the very, very beginning of this year. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's odd to just sort of compare it after that Sixers game where <laughs> their half court defense was bad. Their transition defense was probably the worst I've seen to start the year. Um, they just look so uh, lackluster, but the, the Raptors look really great. And I think, you know, OG is someone as well who I, I think there have been moments where I'm like, oh, he's not as involved as I want him to be in this game or like where. And then I'm watching him and I'm just focusing in on him and I'm like, 
oh, the attention that he draws as he's moving. Right. Like there has to be a body on him when he's out on the perimeter. There has to be a body on him when he's down low. I think by the numbers, he was a Raptors best post-up player. Uh, we know that he's a 40% three-point shooter. Like just the the just his movement alone, just as a decoy to what the Raptors do, allow for other guys to go off as well. And I think sometimes that's overlooked. I know I overlooked it until I started to focus in specifically on him to see what he was getting, how he was moving, and what the defense was. They don't ignore OG Ananobi. And that's kind of why the Raptors are as successful as they are is because all five guys on the court can burn the other team at any given time. That's why the starting five is good. Well, and and like, as I've said numerous times, it's like, it's going to get annoying, but they're all so unselfish. Like the only one who really forces up like a decent amount of shots is probably still precious, but it's also, that's kind of what you get with precious is he's going to cut down the lane and dunk on two guys because he's also going to cut down the lane and just force up a layup. Or he's like, he's going to hit some threes because he's also just going to jack up a three that maybe he should have swung the extra pass to Gary. We should apologize to precious and Chua for calling Pascal Siakam the best player on this team. Our apologies. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, well, so the first two games, maybe it was the first three games. I can't remember. I wrote an article after either the first two. It might have been after the Brooklyn one, so maybe the first two, about how the bench is just, wow, this is bad. And is it a call for concern? And obviously, uh, there's a bit of over-exaggeration. And in the content business, there's always a bit of clickbait and over-exaggeration. But it was looking like, wow, we don't have anyone to create off the bench and we don't have anyone who can even hit shots off kickouts off the bench. And we're missing Boucher, who's came in and really provided a spark. Uh, Porter, who we're still missing that I think he's set to come back like somewhat soon. Still people. Don't I, really think know there, I think there's um, I think there's now uh, family issues that he's having right. for personal reasons that are also sort of extending it. So it's a question mark. Yeah, but either way, like it doesn't seem like it's going to be anything longer. So with Porter and Boucher coming back, like the bench is just really and taking Birch. over. Yeah, I mean, Kemberch actually very limited minutes and not much usage, but was actually kind of effective last night. Yeah, uh, I think he has been in the minutes he's played. And Malachi Flynn, I thought Malachi Flynn has looked effective in the time right. that he's played. Um, yeah. I would like to see, you know, a little bit more of him. Delano is, is going to get minutes. I mean, Delano is kind of what you want this sort of future of the backup point guard's about to be or the point guard's about to be really of the team that you're building. But, you know, he struggled a little bit in the early goings of the season. Um, because the Raptors do need guys who can get out there and, and space the floor. But I agree with you. It was kind of looking a little bit shaky in in, the, in those first couple of games of like what the bench production really would be. And I kind of looked at this season and I said, you know, if the reports are true about OG and OB wanting a bigger role and the Raptors knowing that they want to put the ball in Scotty's hands, Scotty and OG, <laughs> their chemistry has been phenomenal on the court this year. Um, even in those games that I was talking about where I was like, yeah, OG is not, you know, his, his role kind of seems a little bit minimized. I was like, oh, Scotty's also out in this game. It was against my, it was against the heat. And I'm like, and every time that I sort of look back at like, you know, a lot of OG shots, the amount of them that are Scotty assists is phenomenal. Like their chemistry on the court has been amazing. So I've kind of looked at like when, when you're Pascal and Fred sit, when you have Scotty as your, the Raptors are trying to run this. And of course, you know, there's going to be hiccups along the way, but Scotty's your backup point guard and your starting center. At the same time, I looked at him as your play starter and OG Ananobi's your play finisher. And watching that as sort of being a symbiotic relationship and believing that the Raptors can generate enough offense from those guys to be able to sustain some of those bench lineups when Fred and when Pascal, who are playing 38 minutes a night already, are going to get some time to sit. And I think that that's going to come. I think bringing in those other bench guys, Chris Boucher is so important to what the Raptors do. And I think we see that already in the first few games. The bench looks completely different with him 
there than without him there. But um, it, 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 there have been some growing pains, but I think we're starting to see it come together. And that's also Precious just finding his rhythm and his role because early goings Precious, yes, he makes great cuts. Yes, like his, his finishing has improved from last year. I mean, you can only go up really, but like uh, <laughs> to me, it just seemed like the energy of which Chris Boucher brings where he's just always hustle and always there did not feel like we got that from Precious in the early goings. And it seems like we're starting to get that now. Um, it's at least it, I'm, I'm liking some of the minutes from Precious that I'm seeing, whereas before it kind of felt lackadaisical. And I'm like, you're Precious Achua. The reason why you're getting these minutes is because you're the fastest guy on the court. Right. You're the most athletic guy on the court. There's no reason for you to be walking back and there's no reason for you to be treating the offense like you're Kobe Bryant here. I don't I don't want to see your face up game develop right now. <laughs> like I'm not we're looking for you know what Precious's footwork look like in this moment. Um your job is to be a high energy guy. It was an issue that I think we saw from Chris Boucher at the start of last season as well. And I think you know as as everyone starts to fill into the rotation, the Raptors hierarchy is going to come together. And I think in the beginning it's always a little bit rough when you have a team that has you know quote unquote egalitarian style of play um but we're starting to see it come out and I think that comes with Chris Boucher coming back Kim Birch coming back Malachi Flynn getting some minutes here and there um and, and yeah so I don't know I said a whole lot of stuff <laughs> <laughs> no it's good it kind of fed into exactly what I kind of want to get into next is you you mentioned how many serviceable guys they have off the bench and it's not realistic to play 12 guys a night. Um, and it's also not realistic to only play 10 guys for the rest of the season. But for the most part, you do come up with a nine or 10 man rotation to play. And that kind of like it's what is that for the Raptors? Because Boucher, Achua, Porter are probably three locks off the bench. And then Coloco's looked solid like he he, he has his moments. But for the most part, he just kind of gives the Raptors something that nobody else can give. But as you mentioned, like, Birch actually looked pretty serviceable. Malachi's looked good in the minutes he got. Banton, and then that leaves Thad Young, who we thought was going to be like sixth or seventh man off the bench. He hasn't looked that great, but you have to kind of think that he's going to at least get some more chance. So that's like seven, eight guys off the bench. Like, where do the Raptors go with the rotation? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of always been the question. I was surprised to not see any Thad minutes yesterday. I really did think he was going to be, you know, maybe the second guy off the bench for this team. Uh it, it'll, I, I guess it comes down to like, you know, what, what did Nick Nurse say when Stanley Johnson and Rondé Hollis Jefferson weren't getting minutes? You got to defend at a championship level. Um, mm. I think we're going to see uh, a longer leash for guys like a Coloco and even for like a Delano Banton. I think those are two guys that the Raptors are going to want to see out there, even right. if in some of those minutes we're kind of cringing our faces a little bit and trying to win these games. Um, I would love to see Kemberge out there. I like I I I've been really big on Kemberge. I know he didn't have a great season last year, but I think a lot of that was due to injury. And I think right from the preseason, I was like, oh, his minutes his minutes are kind of effective. Um, and and he kind of steadies the pace. He also has just this knack for offensive rebounding that I think is better than anyone on this team, really. Um, like his ability to just get those second chance opportunities because I don't know what the stats were from last night. 
But I know in the first four games of the season, the Raptors were 21st in offensive rebounds and they were middle of pack in second chance opportunities. And we're talking about how impressive the Raptors half court offenses look. A large part of that is because they're hitting their threes, but we know that that's not always going to be there. And to me, just the lack of second chance opportunities for the Raptors, the lack of offensive rebounds is going to be a really big thing. Um, And so like, who are the hustle guys that can get that for you? I think it's about having high energy. I think it's about doing the dirty work, the grunt work, the, you see it exactly every time Chris Boucher is on the court and you see it when Precious is having his good minutes and his good stretches. It's going to be difficult for the Raptors to find what their nine man rotation yeah, is because Nick like really Nurse difficult. is difficult. Nick Nurse is also not one to be like, he's one to be like, all right, we're running with the six man rotation for the next three weeks because I don't like what I'm getting from the rest yeah. of you guys. Even if the rest of us are like, there are serviceable players, put them in the game. Um, so it, it, a lot of it is what we don't see because I don't know why Malachi never gets any run. Uh, I mean, I do, he's small, but um. <laughs> It's gonna, it's uh there's a lot of it that happens behind the scenes. It's just going to be. I think Chris Boucher is a given. I yeah. think Precious Achua is a given. Totally. I think um, I, I think, think Otto will probably be is He'll at least be, be unless, given the chance to, to yeah, be um, a, a unless that three point guy. shot is gone right. Like right. unless he's like uh, like you know speed my high look from from beyond the arc. Oh, that doesn't That's happen. It's like no, it can't. That, no way it can be that bad. <laughs> Like, unless it's something like that, I think Otto Porter is a given. Already, that's three guys off the bench. Um, You're going to have to have minutes for Coloco. You're going to have to have some minutes. I think you're going to get minutes for Delano and Coloco. We've been seeing it, even if I haven't loved a lot of the Delano minutes. So I think that's going to be something that's going to continue just because of their role on this team. Um, right. And that that makes it really, really, Yeah, that really hits you tight. at 10. Yeah, that makes it really tight. And, you know, Nick Nurse doesn't often play a 10-man lineup. Or like a rare that's a rarity yeah no and uh so i looked it up the raptors uh they just got six offensive rebounds last night they're 26 in the league also it's hard to get offensive rebounds when you shoot 55 from the everything. field yeah. right so <laughs> yeah. maybe there's a bit of a, a bit of a slack there but yeah true. no i agree the rebounding and that's why i saw they played a lineup last night where i think it was gary pascal uh, Coloco, Precious, and Boucher. Yeah. And it's like, that's just a huge lineup because you have the center in Coloco who's over seven foot. And then you have three guys spanning from six, nine. Because realistically, we talk about the Raptors as like a big team, but honestly, they're undersized. Like they're actually just undersized. The most of the wings nowadays are like six, six to six, nine. And then we just don't have the center to round out the lineup. Um, we're actually like not crazy unique in a in a length way we're actually crazy unique in a in a small way anyways but with coloco out there that's what makes them unique is when like you literally have like three guys at 610 and then a seven footer to round it out and i think you're just gonna have to like rebound by committee like that which is obvious but when you're running lineups that have gary and uh or sorry gary and fred like you're you're honestly pretty small out there like how are you gonna rebound yeah, I mean that. Yeah, that's 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 always kind of going to be a thing. I, I I would love to take a look at the rebounding numbers last year and just like I I think that's something that would be a, a good focus to see what those lineups were. Um, because they were second in offensive rebounds, and like I know that Chris Boucher, Precious Achua, I know that it's rebounding by committee. You have Scotty, you have you have Pascal. The thing about the Raptors, even in terms of their length and their size, I agree with you. They're a small team, right? A team that doesn't start a center is a small team by default. They're a long team in that their wingspan is incredibly long, right. even in comparison to some of these other teams that have like a bigger wing. Like, you know what I mean? Like it's it, their, their wingspan 
is a piece that I wrote for basketball news last year. Plug where, it out. Um, length matters uh, and talking about specifically the, the Raptors nice. and the Cavs, a little dated for the Cavs because Lori Markkinen is not on that team, but a lot of the points still kind of work. Um, and uh, with the Raptors specifically, like it is that, right? Like it is the, it, it's, it's the, it's the relentlessness that their athleticism and their size and their length provides. It's the chaotic sort of energy that you sort of get from that that helps on the defensive end, right? The, the reason why they're the team that gives up the most corner threes but also blocks the most amount of corner threes is like the most Raptor stat ever. Like right. That kind of encapsulates exactly what their defense can be at times. And that's also how you sort of crash the glass. That's also how they get in there. Um, And, and it's just like it there's this I don't know like I don't know how to describe it besides this like chaotic beauty with which the Raptors play um <laughs> because for as small as they are they're still their their length is what sort of sets them apart and in the piece mm -hmm. I talk about how size is not about height anymore because basketball is not played vertically it's played horizontal it's it's played on the floor it's paid it's played in front of you actually right. that's how it's played and so it's length that you we're measuring as opposed to how tall you are. Um, and when it comes to the Raptors, even a guy like um, Gary Trent Jr. has, uh, like, the term for it is hideous. It's ape index, which is just racist. But, you say ape index? Um, ape index. That's the term for when your wingspan is the, the amount that your wingspan is taller than your height. I had no idea that's what it's it was a, it's called. A it's, a, it's a terribly racist term, um, which also probably ties to the fact that the vast majority of, you know, uh, the non-Black players in the league have a shorter ape index than the Black players in the league. There's a lot totally. of racism behind the term. Uh, you know, Tyler Hero has the shortest one in the entire NBA. Also, a bad Are we sure defender. Desmond Bain doesn't? Desmond Bain has, uh, I think, probably the shortest one in terms of, like, his height because he's taller than him. But, like, I think mm. the definitive shortest ape – actually, no, that's not true because ape index would be in comparison to your height. The shortest one – or the shortest wingspan in the league for sure is Tyler Hero, and he's a tall guy. Um, so um, it, it is a term that is quite racist, but uh, in the piece I, I pointed out that the Raptors – have the longest ape index in the league, meaning guys whose wind whose wingspans surpass their height. Right. It is the longest across the board. Every single person except for Fred Van Vliet, I feel like, and it, every single person, especially in the starting lineup, had at least plus five. Um, and the average in the NBA is about plus three and a half. So the Raptors wow. are incredibly long yeah. in that regard. Um, Plus three and a half, plus four, and the Raptors were at plus five, uh, and some guys were even higher than that. So in terms of length, that's what the Raptors have in droves, and that's how they're able to sort of get to the glass. That's how they're able to close those passing lanes. That's how they're able to recover so quickly and play the aggressive style of defense that they have. Their wingspan is what unlocks all of the chaos that Nick Nurse is doing. Right, and it helps when your length is also coupled with athleticism and energy and just yeah. good defenders, good defenders who know how to read. Uh, off ball and on ball. Um, and I, I was saying mistakes. like I watched Delano and I'm like, oh, that oh, his length allowed him to recover that. Like, you know, there's there's yeah. some there's some moments where just like even for guys who are not there yet, just having the length allows you to recover so much faster. And that's what the Raptors are sort of banking on is the fact that you can't teach length, you can't teach size, but what you can teach are defensive principles. And as long as someone brings that in, it makes it all easier.
Well, and I, I don't know if you remember that uh, Coloco pin on Maxi when he drove baseline, like Coloco's length to kind of mm. make that happen. I posted it on Twitter. OG actually stepped up pretty well in help, but PJ Tucker just set some box out a legal screen that like kind of allowed him to just kind of deter the shot. But the fact that Coloco was able to guard Embiid at the top of the key and make his way down to block that, like that's just another example of length. And obviously Coloco's the one guy who has the height to kind of couple with the length. Um, but yeah, I, I always found it ironic, especially after these first two games when the Raptors weren't necessarily shooting the greatest, how you have a team full of six, nine wings. Yet the irony is your whole offensive strategy is just grind it inside and just like post up and just make it messy. And I think the Raptors shooting woes are a bit overlooked. And once again, we're coming off a game where Toronto hit everything and Philly defended nothing. But I think as a whole, like if you if Pascal is shooting like he did last night or even just a little worse, because the way he shot last night was unreal, at least in the first half. OG is a very capable open shooter. Trent, as we've mentioned, Fred, Boucher and Precious. They'll keep you honest from out there. Like, do you think Toronto's shooting woes are slightly overrated? Because that's what everyone was talking about. Like, yeah, they have everything. They just can't shoot. But I don't really know how true that is. Yeah, uh, and I'm one of those people that like was like, yeah, their their shooting woes are going to be an issue this year. Oh, I totally the was. Preseason too, yeah. <laughs> scared me a, bit, a little bit, and I was looking at the numbers. So last last night, probably jumped them. I think to like second in the league, but at least prior to the Sixers game, when I was looking at the numbers, they were fifth. Um, they were fifth in terms of three point percentage, and um, looking into why that was, ninety four percent of the Raptors threes are catch and shoot attempts. That is why they lead the league in percentage of threes that are catch and shoot attempts. They're not mm. a lot of guys that you really trust to take it off the dribble. Right. Um, and so for one, it's not only catch and shoot threes. And I didn't look into these numbers, but I'm sure we're going to find it. And we definitely saw it yesterday. It's it, it's a lot of open catch and shoot threes that the Raptors are taking and making. And there are guys these are NBA players like OG is a 40% three point shooter, but if you're going to leave him in the corner for a split second, he can get that off. And what the Raptors offense is really predicated on. And you mentioned it kind of going down low and sort of, you know, bullying a little bit, but also the, 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 the perimeter, the perimeter shooting as well and catch and shoot opportunities. The Raptors are a team of mismatches. The Raptors, we talked about it. It is a lot of it is Pascal drawing a double and then there's going to be one guy open, but also yeah, the Raptors are not as big of a team when we're looking at other teams and they do have wings that have similar sizes to the Raptors. But two through four is a little bit different. I think I feel like there's three and four, right? There are very few teams that have a two that can match up with size with an OG and an OB, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. like, they're, they're, and, and what the Raptors have been so good at doing is allowing an OG to, if he has a mismatch down low, he is going to bully you and finish over you. Same thing with Scotty Barnes. He is an excellent post player as well. If he has a mismatch down low, he can bully you. The Raptors are going to exploit their mismatches. There's going to be one player on the court that is going to have someone that is not big enough to guard them because of the size that they have. And that person, if they're down low, can can um, can bully someone and get that and get that shot, whether it be Scotty, whether it be OG, whether it be Gary Trent Jr., a large part of the Raptors offense last year had Pascal as your primary guy and Fred as your secondary guy. Both those guys are great at passing out of doubles. So when teams do trap them, they will find the open guy. And that might be, you know, that's why Scotty needs to be able to shoot those catching threes as well. That might be OG on, you know, in the corner or Gary somewhere on the wings or, you know, a, a, a Scotty three as well. 
those guys need to be able to shoot because the Raptors move the ball well. So we, we talked about it. They move off ball so well, but they also move the ball incredibly well to find yeah. the open person on the perimeter or someone's going to have a mismatch, find whoever has that mismatch and they'll bully them down low. That's how the Raptors work. They're just banking on the fact that their team is so oddly built that no matter who they go up against, they will find that mismatch and they will be able to exploit that. Or Pascal is good enough to attract a double that they will find the open man. That's how this works. Without those two things, if it's just a fair set and you have five Raptors on the court and everyone has someone of the same size and same build to guard these Raptors one-on-one and you're asking the Raptors to do something in a half-court set, it's going to get ugly pretty quickly. The Raptors are banking on the fact that they're not going to have to do that most nights. Yeah, and I think the offense is so fascinating to talk about because – Coming into the year, we expected, okay, the defense is going to be fine. The offense is the real question mark. However, I feel like through these first few games, I don't want to say the defense is necessarily a question mark, but it's just kind of been all right. And I think you're really noticing the lack of a rim protector because when Toronto wants to lock in, they can lock in and they can stop anybody. But that requires crazy fast scrambles, stepping up and help, not allowing blow and stuff like that. I mean... Like you want to say it's realistic for a full game, a team to give like 110% effort on defense, but it just isn't realistic for a full game, 82 games, and then however many games in the playoffs. So do you think like, and I, I when Coloco's out there, like it's a bit different, Boucher, like a little, but still like, do you think, I don't want to say the defense is going to be an issue because as I mentioned, like when they need to lock in, they do it. But I don't like, is the lack of a rim protector going to, you know, hurt them this season? I think it depends on who they go up against. Uh, you know, is it going to hurt them come playoff time if they go up against a certain matchup? Yeah, I think it. I think it can. Um, looking into the numbers last year, the Raptors had the um, fourth ranked defense from forty-one games onwards. So in this nice. exactly smack dab middle of the season, forty-one games, they had the fourth ranked defense onwards, and. Large part of that second half of the season, you had OG and Fred Van Vliet, who you consider two of the better defenders on this team, two of the best defenders on this team, uh, depending on who you ask. And uh, they missed significant time. I think, you know, uh, what did what did OG play? Like six of the final, like 20 or 30 games or something like that. These are guys that missed significant time and still the Raptors posted the fourth best defensive rating in the league. Um, so I, I think with this defense, and we saw it last year, it does kind of look a little shaky in the beginning. <laughs> and and there are going to be moments where, I mean, Maxi, so good. <laughs> but like, you know, for one, Fred couldn't stay in front of him. But the amount of like, it just seemed like straight line drives that he had to the basket at times. Like the amount of just like, oh, it'd be nice to have just someone who can deter anyone from driving in. Certainly, I think the Raptors are going to have particular right. matchups where they're going to need it. But I do trust this Raptors defense because we've seen it be elite. And the idea is they're so long and they're so aggressive and they're so active that their plan is to just close the space that is on the court to take away those lanes. And we've seen them be able to do that. We've seen them be able to suffocate teams. We've seen them be able to completely lock off uh, anyone from really getting in deep enough to to finish um you know at the rim so they have the personnel to do it it is going to require a lot of work and i think we're probably going to see these issues arise in a playoff series against particular matchups and we've already kind of seen it yeah i i think i i'd have to agree with you the uh, rim protection won't be a, a huge issue we'll see it sometimes especially when you go up against you know 
a Giannis or Embiid, but then again, even teams with rim uh, protection, how can you <laughs> you can't really stop them? Uh, I just think it is a little bit more noticeable when you don't have it there. And yeah, we've seen lapses on defense, but really when Toronto wants to lock in, they're uh, very capable of locking in. Uh, I want to project a bit forward because the Raptors have a bit of an easy stretch coming up. Obviously, they play Philly here next, but I think there's very, very few. Is that not easy? <laughs> maybe maybe it's really easy. I'm jinxing it. I'm so sorry. Oh, maybe, maybe they're the easiest. Tomorrow. It's actually, yeah, I don't know. They're, uh, <laughs> they've been bad this year, but I think there's very, very few easy stretches in the schedule because I think there's legitimately around 20 good teams in the league, like 10 in each conference. But like, if you look ahead, they got Philly, Atlanta, San Antonio, Dallas, which in itself isn't even the crazy easiest. But then you got the Bulls twice, the Rockets, the Thunder, the Pacer, the Pacers, the Pistons, who that'll be a loss. But I really think the Raptors have to take advantage of this next stretch because obviously you want to beat the good teams. And as they've shown, whether it's Miami and, you know, Philly, whether you want to say about them or not beating Cleveland, they can beat those good teams. But I think it's unrealistic to expect them to just run all over all the good teams. So, like, you really have to take advantage of these bad stretches. Do you think we're going to be looking at after that stretch I gave you, however many games that is, of a, of a Raptors team who has a crazy good record because they took care of business, or you know what do you expect? Because I, uh, I don't really know. You can't lose to the bad teams this year. You really can't. You really can't. Uh, that was something that really hurt them last year. Um, it was just losing a lot of games that they had no business dropping it was also just sort of the bread and butter of Kyle DeMar teams how do you get to 58 wins how do you get to 59 wins you do it just by beating on the teams that you are meant to beat up uh especially because you just mentioned it there are only like 10 teams in the league that are probably bad like every like the vast majority of teams in this league are trying for and that's what the play-in sort of opens up it opens up the most parity that this league has ever seen and it opens up teams like the Sacramento Kings who haven't made the playoffs in a million years now feeling like, oh, we can we can have a postseason game. Um, and so, yeah, they're, they're going to need to win those games. The Pistons one is a loss. I feel like you're going to split one. <laughs> I feel like you're going to split one against the Bulls. I hate these. I hate these home and home. Oh, man. Uh, I feel like you're going to split one against the Bulls just because I think, you know, the Bulls are too good. You probably, you know, win it at home, lose it in Chicago there. Um, but those other teams, you have to prove that you're better than the Hawks. You, like, there's way too many teams that that are losing to San Antonio because they're overlooking them uh, in the early goings of the season. Uh, some of these bad teams look good, like the Jazz, the Spurs, like a lot Yo, of these. The bad Jazz teams and the Blazers good. look so good. The Blazers might just be a good team. I might just be ready to give that to them. Uh, and by a good team, I mean a nine seed in the Western Conference. But uh, that is that is a good team. It is a pretty good um, team this year. And and so, yeah, like you, you have to do it. That's what the Raptors have to do if they want to be atop the Eastern Conference, because this is going to be a loaded East in terms of like the wins that these teams have. It's going to be fairly loaded. If you want to have home court advantage in the first round, if you believe that you're a team that can win a first round series, you're going to have to start winning these games to secure yourself a spot because we see that it becomes a bloodbath in the later later days of the season. Right now, you got your legs, you're fresh. Don't lose to Detroit. Stop doing that. Yeah. Okay. This is a real question. Has Toronto beaten Detroit since Casey's gotten there? Yes, they have. Um, 
they beat Detroit. I feel like they maybe won like two games against. Like the Detroit record has to be like two and nine or something. It's something ridiculous like that. And the losses are always just like terribly heartbreaking oh or just terrible. The Kawhi, the Kawhi missed shot was it? Like there was just there's been some that have just been absolute heartbreakers, and the fact that Kawhi could not beat them, I know this curse is too strong. Yeah, or was there like one where like there was literally like a bounce pass lob on a baseline inbound or something? Where they won it. Uh, I can't remember. I can't remember if that was Detroit. I just remember. Honestly, I blocked out half of the Detroit losses. It's probably good for your health. It's never happened. Yeah, no. Toronto has to really take advantage of this upcoming stretch. And now I'm just going to say the most obvious thing. um, Because I've said how you have to beat the bad teams. But this year you also have to really make sure you take advantage of these teams who you're going to be in a playoff race with. Because as we mentioned, there's so many good teams. And, you know, Miami, Cleveland, Philly, Brooklyn. Boston like I don't know if there's really a standout maybe Milwaukee is but either way you're going to be finishing in in, right in playoff contention with all these teams and you really have to take advantage of the tiebreaker so I'm uh I'm with you these splits kind of suck or or these uh double headers kind of suck because when you're when you have two good teams face each other you're likely going to split but I guess uh it is what it is we're praying for no split on Friday where the um where the Pistons to Milwaukee to like Milwaukee Right. Like they have not they've won like maybe two or three games against us in the last three years as well. In the playoffs same way too. that we've done the <laughs> playoffs included. And so like I kind of will take it. You know what? Continue to lose against the Pistons if you just make my food and holders life hell. I'll do it. Oh, man, it's Giannis, a fair trade to me. We're uh, we're obviously only three or four or five games in, depending on the team, but Giannis looks like he could take another MVP. Yeah. <laughs> he looks like I don't know how he can keep taking steps up, but he's taking another step up. I saw he's shooting like 40% from three. I don't know how many attempts that is. I can't imagine it's much, but still 40% from three from Giannis. What do you do? I remember tuning into a game and I just saw Giannis' stat line and I was like, oh, he's had a good game. And they're like, it's the third quarter. And I was like, well, let me tune into this one. <laughs> like, what? Um, 22, yeah, no. eight and five at half. You're like, oh, he's like, playing like pretty 30, good. It was like 32, nine. And I was just like, oh, he's like, that's a good game. And they're like, nope, nope. Game's still happening. And I was like, all right, let me tune into this. Um, yeah, Giannis is incredible. Giannis is so good. He's so yeah, he's, good. He's and shooting like, 40% off 3.3 uh, attempts, which like, that's I, not, that's not that bad. Like as I far as attempts wise. No, no, that's, that's good. <laughs> like to be able to do that is good. I was worried about the Bucks um, because I was worried about their age, right? Like I was just like last year, they were not a good defense. And I remember just watching the Raptors go up against them and they just felt too small. You know, and the same thing that PJ Tucker felt to Pascal yesterday, they just felt too small. Um, And, and I was like, Bobby Portis is not scaring anyone. I looked at like how the Raptors and Bucks matchups used to fare in the past. It was just like Brooke Lopez put the fear of God into Kyle Lowry, into Norm Powell, into Fred Van Vliet. These were guys that were just not looking at the rim because of how great of a rim protector he was. So when they played that drop and you have, you know, some of the better rim, uh, sorry, some of the better perimeter defenders in the league kind of funneling guys directly to Brooke Lopez, those guys were like, absolutely no. I want no parts of this. I'm not trying uh, to get anything down here. And so the, the way that the Raptors had to beat the Bucks was with perimeter shooting. You needed Fred Van Vliet to have a son and go off. You needed to bring in Mark Gasol to make that offense work to, you know, because when once Gasol came, the Raptors were the best three-point shooting team in the league. You needed that. And then last year happened and I was like, oh, it's Bobby Portis? 
Oh, that's easy. And what did the Raptors do? They had more points in the paint than the Bucks did in, I think, every single matchup that they played last year. Why? Because he's just not the rim protector. And you can't ask right. Giannis to do it all. Like, he does everything for them on the offensive end. You can't ask him to do everything on the defensive end as well. Which he still kind of does most of the time. It's true. This is very true. Um, and, and so, like, they just didn't scare me at all. It was like, this is not a team that's going to put fear in anyone. If this is who Brooke Lopez is, if he's, like, kind of going to be injured and have back problems for the – tail end of his career then this team doesn't scare me and now look at Brooke Lopez like all right never mind they're scary again because he's back (laughs) yeah no they're uh they're really good I uh yeah I I I mean before the season started I predicted I think I predicted a Bucks Nuggets finals um maybe I'll stick with that I don't know how much I like the Nuggets pick because Murray hasn't looked that great but then again three games or four games into a season from a torn ACL. That's still a, uh, I actually, okay. I want to ask you one thing and maybe this is a hot take. Maybe it isn't, but when are we just going to start recognizing Giannis and Jokic as the two best players in the league? Honestly, we need to have done that. I think if they had American, uh, you know, birth certificates, we would have done it years yeah, ago. I think so too. <laughs> I, I, um, I just like, it's, it's ludicrous that we're talking. Like I, I was listening to someone they were like, well, you know, Giannis is yeah. Cause he had a 50 point triple double in the finals, but I just haven't seen it from Jokic. And I'm like, like he needs to show me that he can do it in, in a final series before me, before I give him the crown. And I'm like, Will Barton was his second best player for some of the games in the playoffs last year. What are we doing here? Sorry for yelling in your ear there. But I'm like, what are we doing here that this is the, like, the fact that he hasn't had his second or third best player, and yet he's still leading these teams that were really not great. Like, if you looked at the help that he had, I was just like, my goodness, this is Jokic kind of doing this on his own, um, leading them to to the playoffs and, and just, like, like the, that that series that they had against the Warriors, I was like, yeah, Jokic is the second best player in the league, right behind Giannis, and I'm not gonna give it to anybody else. But um, it's it really it really does have to do with their birth certificates, quite honestly. And like it's the same thing with like crowning, you know, Jason Tatum as like the fifth best player in the league or a top three player, the next American MVP. Like, what does it mean to be an American MVP? Because Joel Embiid has an American citizenship, uh, so like <laughs> if he's an American citizen, and we're not calling him, you know, the the to be the next American MVP. What are we saying? But it's a whole other topic. <laughs> yeah. Does Embiid just so have a citizenship cool. to every country? I feel like he can play for any team once like the Olympics or the World Cup rolls around. I mean, that'd be great. Then you get a million articles about can you be the next Slovenian MVP? Can you be? The, I guess it's not going to be him to do that. There's somebody else in line for that. But like, you know, yeah. can you be the next Canadian MVP? No, I look. I, I I was just looking up Jokic's playoff numbers because I know they're good, but like he he throughout his whole playoff career dating back to 2019, has averaged 26 and a half points, 11 and a half rebounds, and six and a half um, assists off 51, 39, 84 splits. Like he's almost Bomb. 50, 40, 90, and Not almost great. had a triple double. Like yeah, th- as you mentioned, the reason Denver me. loses in the playoffs is not because of him. <laughs> like he. <laughs> Because they don't have their second or third best player. Just because Will Barton. They were missing literally their second and third best player. I, yeah. Anyways, uh, I really want to appreciate. I, uh, oh, sorry. I do appreciate you. I don't want to. Uh, I want to thank you for coming on. I haven't talked Raptors since I did like a Cavs game one recap game with Justin Rowan. And so this was a good way to catch up to the season up until this point. Cavs Canada. I'm joking. <laughs> he's great. No, he's he's great. He's, he's, great. Uh, he's great. Yeah, he is my Winnipeg brother. 
Um, but if you want to shout out anything before we head out here. Uh, yeah. So uh, I just did a piece for Yahoo um, called, you know, I don't remember what it's called, but it's about the Raptors sort of building a contender and looking at why they could sit on their hands in the offseason when the Cavs and the Hawks made these major moves and mm-hmm. how the Raptors are. Uh, so, so it's a piece. It's up on Yahoo Sports Canada. It's on the YouTube page. Uh, you can find it there. It's a, it's a quick little video essay. It's only seven minutes long. The next one I'll be doing is specifically about Pascal Siakam and why he's so good, what makes him work, and why he's being overlooked by the rest of the league. Oh. Um, <laughs> so, so check that out. That should be dropping sometime next week. Um, but yeah, check out the uh, the Raptors building their contender one, um, which is already out. He is starting to get more recognition though. Although as Raptors fans, I find it hilarious because we hate when no one gives the Raptors recognition, but then we hate it when the Raptors get too much recognition. Like we just kind of want to be left alone, but not too much. I, like we want, we want the praise without the sort of poaching of our players. Because apparently, I was doing the spaces this morning. People were like, "Oh, have you heard? The Lakers are going to offer their two first round picks and Russell Westbrook for Pascal Siakam." And I almost left. I was like, "All right, well, this is the most nonsensical conversation I've ever heard." If you think that that's something that any like that the Raptors would ever entertain, um, but yeah, that's what happens when people like the Raptors players. They just work on ways to poach them. Yeah, there we go. Full circle back to <laughs> Lakers talk. <laughs> Thanks so much for hopping on. Thanks.